Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, the Utah Jazz played the Cleveland Cavaliers, and that version of the Cavaliers is way better than that version of the Jazz. That version of the Jazz got worse in the second quarter when Joe Ingles got kicked out. Specifically, I can't tell you why. Generally, he was irritated all night long, got an early technical foul that, honestly, I thought he should have gotten quicker. The bump on the inbounds could have been it. And the turn around and say something could have been it. But continuing when he got to the top of the key and looking over his shoulder and going a third time, yeah, okay, that was it. Then he got the tee. Now, the second tee, it wasn't clear. I mean, obviously, they missed a foul. Obviously, we saw in a replay, but Donovich got grabbed and pulled. And when you're up in the air, it's easy to knock you off balance and knock you to the ground. So... That got missed, and Quinn was mad, and Bogey was mad, but Joe was talking on defense, and then Joe was talking in transition, and then there was a timeout, and Joe was talking on the way to his huddle. And so, I don't know what he said. I don't know when he said it, but while they were selling uh, Hershey's candy or whatever, he got kicked out. (laughs) And that was that. I don't know that they could have won. I mean, they they trailed the whole first half. They trailed the entire time Joe was in the game. But at least it was close. Once Joe was gone, I think the players knew. I think the coaches knew. I think everybody in the crowd knew. The Jazz weren't winning that game. Cleveland dropped that big run on the third quarter, and that was that. So, three days to see if Rudy Gobert can get healthy. You know, they played a team full of the whole front line of seven-footers, and they didn't have their three seven-footers. Now they only play one at a time, and I don't know how much that would have mattered. Well, it would have mattered. To what degree would it have been enough to win the game? I don't know. Does Joe stay in the game? Maybe he's not as irritable? I don't know. Hopefully, they'll look more like a full team on Sunday. And having Ingles and Gobert will certainly be a step in the right direction. We'll have other guys back. We'll just have to wait and see. It's a pretty unpredictable time in the NBA. All right, we got a big college game. Tonight, it is BYU and Gonzaga. And Mark Pope, meeting with the media, will let you listen to a little bit of what he had to say as he gets his guys ready for a showdown with the best team in the league. Does there been like an added intensity to the practices this week? You know, I just, I'm telling you, whenever I, I feel a lack of it, focus or intensity, I just look down the hall and I see this Ray Stewart, Coach Stewart. He just breathes intensity in everything he does. Right, Ray? Let's go, baby. Uh, listen, we, 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 um, I wish we could increase the intensity. I just think that's the way this team approaches it every day. Uh, we, we recognize how hard every game is. The truth is, is that St. Mary's was the hardest game we played all season, and before that, Pacific was the hardest game we played all season, and now Gonzaga is going to be the hardest game we played all season. So it's just um, we prepare as hard as we possibly can for every game. We just don't know any other way to do it. How similar or different is this year's Gonzaga team compared to the one you saw last year? Well, they're longer because of Chet. He makes them way longer. Um, they are a little bit younger um, in some ways. Uh, you know, for example, Corey was there last year, and, and he was just a vet's vet. He'd been there forever. He was like Drew, right? Um, um, they are... Uh, still built in in essence some of the same things are still terrifying they're still playing ridiculously fast uh, they're really really skilled they're incredibly physical um, they're super talented um, so all the all the problems are the same it's just some different faces they kind of look they kind of look 
looked like you had a mixture of coaches and players mimicking guys the length of Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy. Who did you have out there? Well, Coach Robinson is practicing a lot for us right now just because we're down bodies, so he spent a lot of time on the practice court, and he's a heck of a basketball player. Um, so he's 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 uh, been spending the most time out there, but when we do individual work, uh, all of our coaches are on the floor trying to do the best they can. to. Simulate. The one thing about Gonzaga is you can't, you know, it's like um, – you, you can try your best to mimic their pace and their length and athleticism and skill, but you just can't. The first time you're going to see it, it's Thursday night at 8 p.m. when the ball tips, right? Um, but you're just, trying to, you're just trying to connect some of the concepts and, and some of the things that are most urgent with our guys' experience. And, and um, if we can do that, we'll have a chance to be successful. How much is this game a measuring stick for you guys at this point of the season? Well, it always is when you play the Zags. They're one of the top teams in the country. Usually they're the top, you know, the undisputed top team in the country. And they might be this year also right now. Um, but it, it's great. I mean, you know, we've talked about this a lot. When you get to get to go play the best team in the country at their place, um, that's actually the toughest game you're going you're gonna to have. Any team in college basketball is going to have. Um, and they certainly have been that. You know, they, they did a graphic during the um, – Pepperdine game uh, so I'm watching film just kind of cutting it up and taking notes and all of a sudden I see this graphic come on that's just got um, five game scores just the points scored in five games and so I went back and listened to the volume and it is all of Drew Timmy's losses in his tenure at Gonzaga there's only five teams and um, that's a pretty incredible thing and this is year four right and um and so, you know, it's a, it's a unique gift for us that nobody else in the country gets, really, in the last couple of years. we played them more than anybody else. And so it is a, you know, you always want to go play the best, and they are the very best. Are these the type of games, Coach, that you tell, you bring up to a T. John Lucas or, or Seneca Knight when they're trying to, you're making the decision to come here, I mean, the, the opportunities to stay to play in these type of games? Yeah, well, I think certainly um, – Gonzaga has gone a long way to validating this conference, right? So, um, you know, their name always comes up. You, you, you know, they're they're they've been ranked number one in the country, I think, for wasn't it two straight years, right? And then, um, you know, they've played in the national championship game two out of the last three or four years, or give or take. And um, they certainly have been the most successful basketball team record-wise in the last decade in college basketball. It's pretty impressive. And so. Um, yeah, it, it comes up a little bit. You know, we keep our schedule pretty pretty uh, loaded, so definitely that's one of the things that comes up. Um, but more, it's for more for our current players. It's just the chase. It's not just us. It's every team in college basketball that's chasing Gonzaga. Kentucky's chasing Gonzaga. North Carolina's chasing Gonzaga. Duke is chasing Gonzaga. Everybody's chasing Gonzaga. So uh, the fact that they're right here in our league is pretty awesome. Well, I do feel like we've been tested for sure. Um, we haven't had uh, two games in three days like this, though. Um, but, but, you know, as close to, as close to that as we can get, we have. Um, I, think, I think our guys have a healthy understanding of how challenging this is. I think they have an understanding of how what a great opportunity is. Um, you know, there's there's 
there's not that many road trips in any team anywhere in the country is going to have than this Gonzaga-San Francisco trip this year, right? In terms of the distance and the geography and the quality of teams and, and the venues. And so um, it's pretty cool that we get to do it right now, right? And, and you know, we will, we, we will learn so much from this road trip, and, and I'm excited about that. you feel better prepared for this matchup against Gonzaga considering – previous two, two games in regular season were moved up on short notice? Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know if you're ever prepared to play these guys. Nobody has been so far, right? Um, but, you know, we've, you know, our two regular season games uh, last year, home and away, you kind of looked up at the clock a minute and 30 seconds in and you're like, what just happened? It's like a halftime score against St. Mary's. And um, and so it happens really fast. And, um, you know, it took us, you know, I talk about this all the time, guys. When you're coaching players, you're always trying to match up your words with their experience and understanding. And so every single team that has played the Zags, I don't know what they played, 14 games, let's say. So they've had 14 teams that spent the two or three or four days or five days or one day or whatever they had to prep talking about transition defense. Everybody's changing their game plan, saying, hey, we're sending five guys back. We're sending seven guys back. We're going to recruit all three officials to run back and transition with us. And um, still, the Zags are still running everybody to death, right? They just scored 117 points. The second possession of the game. I know Lorenzo Romar is 10 times the coach I will ever dream of being. Okay, The second possession of the game, it was 28 seconds into the game. Was a, it, was, it was actually the second possession uh, Gonzaga setting the score. And it was, a, it was a defensive rebound and a 60-foot like laser pass to a layup. Trust me, Lorenzo Romar has been talking about – I think they had a 10-day prep, right, because they were out with COVID. I guarantee every one of those 10 days he was telling his guys, we got to get back in transition. So the challenge is actually matching up those words with, like, players' DNA, like what's inside them, the urgency they feel. And so, you know, you asked about – playing tough games in our schedule, all that stuff helps, right? It helps bridge the gap between the words you're saying and the urgency that you're asking for and the player's understanding of what that really means and feels like and looks like. You know, you're a big believer in seniors are, are magic. Uh, does the magic need to show itself in, in the yes. and on the hilltop this weekend? Yeah, we're not winning a lot of games without Alex and Tijon being great. You know, um, they don't have to score all the points. They don't have to make all the plays, but they got to be. They they have their presence has to be felt. There's no doubt about it. It's just really really important for us. Speaking of Alex, how uh, how impressed were you with with his effort on the glass against St. Mary's, and how important is that for you for your team being undersized? Yeah, so uh, not only his effort on the glass, but his his focus on the defensive end was at an elite level. Um, you know, we talked about this after the game a little bit. He he had uh, he's he's actually had a great year defensively. It was just a little bit of slippage for two or three games leading up to the Pacific St. Marys. And St. Marys, he was just in terms of making reads on the defensive end and filling holes and um, being in the right spot at the right time in the right way. He was incredible, and all, part of that is the glass. 
And so I was super proud of him. I mean, it's hard to do what he did on the defensive end for any of us to ever have a night like he did on the defensive end. He was really special. Tijon was really, really special. And so we need them to continue to do that for us to be successful. What can a game like this do for a player like Foos, who's a freshman, whose role has been elevated because of just the roster stuff that has happened to you Well, you know, um, for a lesser uh, freshman, it could break them. Or it could, you know, uh, it could break them either way. They could play great and it could ruin them. Or they, he could play bad and it could ruin them. Or he could play medium and it could ruin them, right? But Foos is just such an extraordinary young man that this is just going to be whatever happens, whether he plays great or medium or poor, um, he's going to learn from it and he's going to grow from it. So that's the impact that's going to have for him. You know, I think it's fun for every player. Just like I was talking about um, after the St. Mary's game about how I feel so happy for all these players of other teams that get to walk into this gym and just experience one of the ultimate college basketball atmospheres in the country going right now. Um, you know, I, I love it for every player to go play against, you know, the top, you know, college basketball team in the country over the last 10 years. Like, that's pretty great. So he gets to go kind of measure himself and see where he is, and he's going to grow from it. And um, and so that's really exciting for all the guys on this team that they get to do that. In the time that you've known Foos, what have you learned about just him as a person off the court? Well, he is a he is a he is a he is incredibly kind. He's really really smart, and he's got an old soul. And what I mean by that is, um, he is, um, you know, he's consistent every single day. He he gets up in the morning to do his work. You know, if he he's one of those guys that you know. You would describe him. I don't know if this is actually factual because I don't check his room, but he's one of those guys that you would get, expect that gets up and makes his bed every single morning, right? He just handles his business every single morning. Him and Atiki's schedule right now is so tough because they're, I mean, from from the time when they wake up in the morning till you know late in the evening, they're either on the court in the film room, doing basketball meetings with their tutors in class or doing homework. Like, it literally is. Uh, they're on a military regiment right now. And and I have never heard either one of those young men ever even look sideways about what they're doing. It's incredible. You know, I, I wish I wish I could be as disciplined as Foose is. And so he is a, he's a special young man. All right, there's Mark Pope talking about Gonzaga. When we come back, the best of the postgame show. Stay with us as the Jazz fall to the Cavs. Good morning, DJ and PK. The Utah Jazz got beat by Cleveland. It is time right now for the best of the postgame show. How did it all go so wrong? Jazz recap here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Jay Catch filling in for Jake Scott on this edition of the Best of the Jazz postgame show. The Utah Jazz fall 111 to 91 to the Cleveland Cavaliers last night here at Vivint Arena. First half, the Utah Jazz undersized without any of their centers on their roster available due to health and safety protocols. They battled. They hung tough early on in this game, but in the third quarter, it all went downhill with the Cleveland Cavaliers using their size and length to go on a 21 to nothing run to blow this game wide open and the Jazz never recovered in this 111-91 loss. The Utah Jazz have now lost four straight. We'll let you hear now from Quinn Snyder on his thoughts after the game. Coach, offensively, how how much did not having any big, um, you know, any of your bigs, big or small, on the roster affect um, the screen game and the ability to create uh, initial um, 
advantage, which uh, affected you yeah. know, the assist total. I understand. Well, there, there isn't going to be much of a screening game, um, you know, but there is a spacing uh, pick and roll and a penetration game. And, you know, when we don't have fives rolling, you know, the lane's open and that's an opportunity for us to just get in the paint. You know, and if they collapse, you know, have our eyes out and kick the ball out. If they stay with shooters, which they did, you know, especially early in the game, we're going to have the rim. And, you know, so you, you play differently. Um, you know, we've, you know, habitually we play pick and roll with our five. So um, not having a five you know, can impact that. But then there's plenty of situations where it's small, small pick and roll or five is flat where it's really about penetrating to, to, you know, to get something for someone else. And, you know, that's what I thought, you know, particularly in the third quarter, the first, the first half, you know, was, wasn't perfect, but we missed a lot of open shots. Um, we got hung up in some individual um, confrontations with referees that I thought distracted us. Um, regardless of, you know, whether the call is right or wrong. Um, you know, we can't have that in a game like this because your margin for error is so small. Um, you know, but I, I thought, you know, in the third quarter, we, I think it was a four point game at one point, And then they went on that, you know, that, that run. And, uh, you know, in, in this situation, we've got to run and attack the rim and create for each other. And we didn't do that consistently enough. Q, I was going to ask you about that 21 to zero run that they had in the third quarter. Obviously you expect them to come out with, you know, some changes post halftime, but what was it that was really kind of different during that stretch that allowed the game to kind of get away from you guys? Well, I thought, you know, what I mentioned before offensively, you know, where we, we just made it hard on ourselves and it needed to be um, where the ball, you know, the, the ball would stick um, instead of moving it quickly, shooting it. Um, and we get into some isolation situations, which, which aren't bad, but usually, you know, beating your man to create for someone else, um, you know, is what we, we talked about. And I thought, you know, on the defensive end, you know, they wore us down a little bit, you know, inside and put us in some situations that, you know, we're just not as familiar with, with that group. If we've got smalls playing, playing post D and trying to help there. And then the ball's coming out and, you know, they started making some shots. Garland hit some shots. Um, you know, I thought Stevens, you know, slashing to the rim hurt us and hit a couple mid-range shots too. So, um, you know, but when, when you're, when you're not playing well on both ends of the floor, that that's, that's the result. Eric Pascal's had a couple of good games in, in this kind of stretch. And I'm curious, A, what you thought of his play tonight and in general over these games, and then B, kind of how you're making the decision on whether or not to include him in your healthy rotation moving forward. Well, you know, I think the first thing is that the most important thing is that, you know, that he's playing well and he's played well, um, you know, both when he's been quote unquote at the four, you know, or, you know, tonight more at the five, um, he's had a big couple of weeks. He had a baby boy and you know, he's come back and he's been ready. When, when we talked to you the other night after the Toronto game where, you know, none of the starters and you mentioned that, uh, no matter how unusual the circumstances, you felt like there was always something that you could kind of take from the game and, and use it going forward. Uh, what might be some of those areas uh, from a game like tonight? 
But, you know, I thought it, at halftime, we very well could have been up. You know, we had Boyan and Mike, you know, miss a couple free throws that, you know, you, you can usually count on. Um, we had a number of really good looks from three that we missed, or we might have been leading at halftime, you know, and I don't think we were playing great. But, um, and then, you know, in the second half, um, we just didn't have the same rhythm as far as um, 0.5 and, and finding people and, you know, re-spacing when guys drive. There's just a lot of things on every possession. And you can't hang in on any one player. It's just us collectively. And that's a different situation for us to be in. You know, it is. So figuring out how to play in a five out setting when we do have an advantage getting to the lane and then recognizing, you know, is there help coming um, where I can, can, you know, have my eyes out and find a shooter or, you know, or they stand with shooters and then I've, I've got the rim. And I, I think those are some reads that, um, you know, that we'll, we'll keep getting better at whether, whether or not we're small, you know, or, or playing with, you know, with a big, um, you know, those situations present themselves, you know, in, in, in both circumstances. There you go. Quinn Snyder after the Utah Jazz fall 111-91 to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Donovan Mitchell last night playing his best and doing his best to keep the Jazz in this game. Led the Jazz with, led Jazz starters, excuse me, with 17 points. Go shooting 6 of 16 from the field in 33 minutes of action. He spoke after the game about the loss and what he took away from it. Don, uh, you know, you've been pretty frustrated over the last couple of games uh, after the losses. I'm wondering how this one kind of measures up on the level of frustration without a front court of any kind. So I'm wondering if it's maybe less frustrating or how it measures Um, First of all, we competed, you know, given the circumstances. Um, can't complain about that. I think the biggest thing is we, first of all, we missed shots. They made shots, uh, but you know, we can move the ball a little more. Uh, I think we, we had no assist in the third quarter. That uh, that changed a lot. Um, we fought and completed, competed in club, but when they have 60, I think it was 60 second chance points or something like that, like, you know, there's three footers out there. You know, we, we're doing our best competing, but, you know, some point in time, you know, that's going to give, but you know, there's, there's things to take away from here, this game, good and bad. I think the, the bad, what I would say would be, we, we, we got a little stagnant, you know, and it's tough when we're doing things on the fly, but still we can get to what we do getting in the paint, finding guys who are open. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be fine. And you knew how important Rudy Gobert was to this team before now, but has like the last four or five games really kind of like reminded you, Hey, this is, and, and maybe taught you kind of a lesson on how important Rudy is to this team on both ends. A lesson? Maybe lesson is um, the wrong word, but like, I, you know, really shown you evidence that how important he is. Well, no, it was no secret. I, I don't think we underappreciate him. Maybe the outside world might have, I don't think anyone in this locker room, um, undervalued his presence. Um, but, you know, in the same token, we lost two winnable games um, in Indiana um, and um, Detroit. Um, tonight we had no centers. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's no secret, you know, he's the three-time defensive player of the year for a reason. But I don't. I wouldn't say we, we, we under 
the answer would be no, because we all value him. I would say maybe externally it was, it was looked, looked at a certain way, but we all know that what, what it is, you know, uh, with Rudy. So, um, I would say no, because we know his value, know his worth. Um, and we know, you know, what he brings, especially on the defensive end. There you go. Donovan Mitchell speaking after the Jazz fell to the Cleveland Cavaliers last night. Let's let you hear now from Jordan Clarkson, who led the Jazz in scoring on the night with 22 points off the bench on 8 of 17 shooting, 4 of 11 from 3 and 34 minutes of action. Here's JC. JC, you guys were uh, pretty competitive in that first half, actually, and then they had that 21 nothing run in the third quarter. Uh, what were kind of the big differences as the game went along? Um... I think uh, we were, like, shifting uh, really heavy on, like, Lamar uh, Stevens, and he got going really in the second half. That kind of uh, helped they run. But um, – and then they got three, four, seven-footers that's posting up uh, all game where it's really pulling us in and uh, causing us, you know, getting closed out situations. But <clears throat> I think we did a good job of fighting in terms of um, what we were up against tonight. Um you know, they just play well and got the win. Hey, JC, what have you been impressed with with Eric Pascal over the last week? Uh, just his ability to come in here and impact the game. Uh, you know, he was starting playing early in the season, preseason. Um, first few games of the, of the season was in the rotation. And uh, then, you know, Rudy comes back and, um, you know, kind of just – falls out the rotation and, and, you know, at these moments, uh, he's a pro. He's been in the league. Um, you know, he's, you see his impact uh, playing with energy. Um, you see him getting stops defensively, rebounding and making shots. Uh, and he plays super hard. So uh, I think he's been uh, super great with, uh, you know, what's been going on. And uh, I'm happy for him that he's uh, been impacting this way. There you go, Jordan Clarkson. Obviously, a tough night for the Utah Jazz. They lose their fourth straight, hoping to get more bodies back as they head to Denver on Sunday. Let's let wrap up things here with the postgame show with some comments from Eric Paschal, who had a breakout performance with 18 points, shooting 7 of 7 in the first half, finishing 8 of 11 from the field, 2 of 3 from beyond the arc, and 33 minutes of action. Here's Eric Paschal after the game. Hey, EP, can you... Kind of just take us through kind of what the the big challenges are on a night like tonight, where you guys don't have any of your usual traditional centers, and um, you're facing a team with as much size as, as the Cavs had. Uh, obviously, it's a little difficult. I mean, uh, they got like three seven footers, but uh, again, we we just again we go out there, we try to play, uh, try to do the right things. They were just a really big team, so uh, shout out to them. They played well. Um, but, I mean, we just got to try to adjust to it just in case it happens again. What changed in the second half? You had a big first half and you were getting to the basket. But then in that third quarter, um, no assists, everything seemed to stop. What did you see from your vantage point? Um, I'll say we just we, – we, we took a lot of good shots. Um, we just didn't make a lot. Uh but again, we, we took a lot of good shots. We tried to move the ball correctly and uh, exactly play the right way. But we just didn't make shots. 
There you go. Utah Jazz post-game audio recapping the Jazz loss to the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Jazz now have a nice little break before they will head to Denver to take on the Nuggets Sunday evening. Six o'clock tip-off. And of course, a pregame coverage here on the Zone Sports Center will begin at five o'clock. DJ, back to you. All right, there's the best of the postgame show. When we come back, we go big picture on the NBA. Stay with us. DJ and PK at 97.5 1280 The Zone. Joe Varden from The Athletic joined PK and I late in yesterday's show. His conversation with us right now on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Joe, good morning. Hey, DJ, how's it going? Good. You know, there was a time when I think most of us, could, if we were given two or three picks, could pick the NBA champ and we could give somebody else 27 or 28 teams in the field and they'd have no chance of winning that bet eight or nine years out of ten. Most of the time you knew. With the three-point shot, it feels like that's broadened a little bit, and maybe with COVID it's even harder to predict right now. But if I said there were legitimately six teams that could win the NBA title, do you think I'm being too generous, or you'd agree? Hmm, I'm counting in my head. Um, Suns. I don't know. Suns, Warriors, Jazz, Bulls, Nets, Bucks. And I know the Grizzlies are hot, but I didn't count them as one of the six. I didn't mention yeah. Miami in the standings. They look pretty good, too. So, but I, and, yeah. and maybe you swap one of the teams out and you put the Grizzlies in. But is it really six teams with a legit shot? Well, I, I'm fine with all those. I mean, you know, the Bucks are kind of middling through, um, but they did that last year and won it all, so they kind of know what they're doing. Um, the Bulls, this iteration of the Bulls has never been there before. And, I mean, at least like when you consider the guys who are leading them, you're talking about DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, they haven't been to the top yet either, uh, which is what the Jazz, of course, are dealing with, except they've been together for a lot longer. Um, so I would like the Jazz over the Bulls at this point. You know, Brooklyn, I've seen them a bunch um, through my work in the East. And, and you know, I mean, Kevin Durant is awesome. He was awesome in the Olympics. He was awesome last year in the playoffs. Um, they've been wrecked by injury. You know, they don't have Joe Harris. The Kyrie situation is weird. You know, he looks great when he's out there, actually, but, he, you know, he's only available a, a quarter of the time. Um, you know, and then out west, I mean, the, the Warriors, they just got Clay back into the fold, and actually they don't look great offensively with him, which, of course, is to be expected. But considering all that they've done all year, you think he gets into the fold and they'll – they'll be pretty tough to beat. And then the Suns are probably as deep as anybody. So, you know, I I like your list, and you're right. I mean, we went through that stretch of four or five years where it was the Warriors or the Cavs or that's it. Um, And we've we've gone past that, and and the the Warriors are back, but it's it's different. Um, Nobody's thinking about the Bucs, really, even though they're defending champs. So I think it's good for the league. I mean, in, in a year where the league needed to come back from a ratings perspective and a popularity perspective, I think you're seeing that. I think the ratings are up. I think interest is up. Um, and more good teams is a better thing, obviously. Trade deadline is less than a month away now. How much yeah. movement do you expect? And then after that, there's always the buyout market. So, okay, so first of all, I, I, don't, I don't put a ton of, of faith in the buyout market in, in, insofar as um, you don't go there typically to, uh, to, to, to turn your team into a championship uh, team. 
it just like you, you'll probably be able to find a, an example where I'm wrong. Um, but by and large, that doesn't work for most for most teams. I think the bigger pieces move at the trade deadline. You know, the the biggest piece obviously is Ben Simmons and what's going to happen with him. Um, but he's the biggest in terms of how decorated he is. I mean, he wasn't very good in the playoffs last year, and then obviously he hasn't played at all this year. Uh, but he's the biggest piece, and he's got the most money attached to him, and so you you wait to see what, what happens there. I, I think, hopefully, uh, that the, the COVID, which is running rampant through the league and through our, our country, will will, um, will will regress, and the, the league will be able to get back to business as usual. But right now, GMs haven't had a whole lot of time to talk significant trade. You know, they're, they're worried either about, uh, filling their own rosters with these 10-day guys. I know Utah just signed somebody. Don't don't ask me to say who it was, um, but they just picked up. They just signed a guy to a 10-day deal. Zylan Cheatham. All right. Well, hey, there you go. Like there, <laughs> you, I couldn't name him. I mean, we could sit here all day, and I wouldn't come up with that name. Uh, and that's <laughs> that's been a struggle for the league the last few weeks for sure, having to to play with those kinds of players. But so it goes, as Billy Joel says. Joe Varden joining us covering the NBA for the Athletic. I am uh, I am amazed by the Clay Thompson. He was so good. He has been out so long. There's a handful of guys you can kind of sort of compare him to, but it doesn't really fit. What he's doing is uh, unprecedented. Just absolutely not play at all for two and a half years. Even even Bill Walton got out on the court occasionally, and uh, Grant Hill got out on the court occasionally. Uh, what level do you expect him to return? turn to yeah I, I mean he certainly like that dunk was awesome and he hit a couple threes against the Cavs um, last night against the Grizzlies I think he was two of five but he doesn't he, like I think we can agree he doesn't look like old clay yet and nor should he um, I, and talking to the either Warriors people or my Warriors people um, you know, I mean, there's a hope that what we're talking 80% clay, 85% clay this year, um, and go from there. I mean, any kind of serviceable clay who's just healthy, you know, forget about the certain spring in a step or how long it takes to get that jumper back to full strength, um, ability to, to lock down defensively and almost any guy on the floor. Just a competent, healthy clay on that team and that system makes them a really, really tough out. And, uh, and yeah, it's remarkable what Clay is, is doing so far here in the early going. Um, but I think it's more, it's, it's more so what he overcame to get here. I mean, because he was healthy. He was ready to come back. And then to suffer another devastating injury after a year of rehab, that is just, you know, as far as pro athletes go, there's not a whole lot worse that can happen to you. Um, as far as having to overcome it mentally. So kudos to him for being able to stick it out and, and, and go through two full years of rehabilitation uh, and to come out on the other side of it. In the West, it looks like you got four teams have separated themselves. We'll see how it finishes out, putting Memphis in there as they are really playing well of late and looks like they've got a lot of talent, young talent to develop. The thing that's curious to me is that when we get to the postseason – who knows what we could see right from the start in the first round because you can look at Denver, the Clippers, and the Lakers. 
theoretically, I don't know if it'll happen, but they could have all their guys back. So what they will have gone through a whole bunch of the season may not look anything like the playoffs. So I'm thinking, get your thought on it, has the potential to be really yeah. crazy if the rosters are full the way they're intended to be. That's a great point. And I think the best of those examples is the Nuggets. You know, you got to think about a Nuggets team. They have been on the doorstep. You know, we're talking conference finals. We're talking conference semifinals. Um, you know, they've been through it with, with Jokic and Jamal Murray. Those are two of the better players in the league. And, and to just be sort of keeping their head above water with all the COVID they're dealing with and then, of course, with Jamal Murray being out, you know, all of a sudden you get a Denver team that has him back and is sort of stayed afloat with all they've been through. Like, yeah, that's a hell of a seven seed. I mean, whew, that's, really, that's really tough, you know. And then the Lakers, I, I'm a little bit – like the, the way they are built, they, they have to like it's got to be LeBron. Like LeBron has to carry them. Uh, Anthony Davis has not shown an ability to do it. He has not lived up to to sort of the plan there, which is for him to become the alpha and LeBron to be his wingman. That has not happened. Um, so if LeBron, who has been awesome by himself this year, but his great play has not been enough to get them, you know anywhere near where they thought they would be. Um, so we'll see with, with Anthony Davis. I think he's the kind of second one, uh, or the, that's the second item there. Um, you know, you guys haven't even asked me about the Jazz yet. Um, We're getting there. Don't worry. But, okay. I just, I like them. I, I like them. I, I think that the reaction to the three-game losing streak is overblown. And, um, you know, and even, and especially even who they lost to. I mean, losing to the Pistons. I mean, it happens in this league. I mean, you look around. I think every team has bad losses. Um, and, and you know, I think the Jazz, more than any team over the last couple of years, has learned that lesson that it's not about how you finish in the regular season. It's the things that you do to prepare yourself um, for that postseason. It's a different game. And so, you know, I think Quinn was right the other night when he said, you know, we need to use this game to, to further focus us. And that, that's it. That's the only thing that matters is it was another reminder about having to play on the perimeter and having to be a physical, gritty defensive team when Rudy's not out there. Um, and also to draw it up <laughs> in a way so that you don't have to have Rudy running out to the corner. Um, which the perfect way to practice that and when he, is when he's unable to play. It doesn't matter that they blew a second-half lead to the Pistons. It just doesn't. It doesn't. And they're not, the Jazz probably aren't going to win the West during the regular season. They're not going to get that number one seed, but that, that, that's okay. What matters is learning these lessons now because they are a team that knows each other well, and they have been, to, you know, they've been through the, a, a number of playoff runs. So they, they're there. They're ready. You know, to contend deep, it's, it's, it's about shaping the roster and shaping how they do their stuff um, to be ready for, to, to, for, for playoff action. Forget about this stuff now. I think what matters about the Piston game isn't the final score and whether they won or lost. It's the fact that they didn't play the right way when they needed to. Yeah. And when things started going wrong, they weren't capable of taking the game by the shoulders 
or the neck or whatever else, you know, grabbing it and spinning it around and making it go the way they want it to. And those are things you need to do in playoff games because the playoff games are going to go wrong at some point. And you have got to be able to summon something and change the direction of a playoff game. That's how the Clippers knocked the Jazz out in Game 6. It was going poorly for the Clippers until it was going great for the Clippers. They turned the game around. And so, aside from the final score, the fact that Jazz didn't know, do those things, which would have impacted the final score, that's a concerning <laughs> part. And they obviously don't have their guys. If they're playing without Gobert, they're not going to win the title. So, playing without right. Gobert in the regular season is, I don't know, what's the opposite of fool's gold, the negative version of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, I used to, you know, and maybe my views on this are a little skewed, you know, but but in my beat writing days, I was a beat writer in Cleveland, and the Cavs had no chance on the nights that LeBron didn't play. And we would wring our hands because Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were on the team, and how can they lose all these games with two two of the big three still there? But you knew ultimately that the way they were going to play in the playoffs and the way they were going to get to a finals and win was if LeBron was there and healthy, and so. I think that's a good point. I, I definitely see your point about being, uh, you know, disappointed in the way that they were unable to close that game. Um, but again, I just look at, uh, you know, and I mean, I look at things like, you know, being at the end of a long road trip in January. I mean, it was like a three or four game. I think it was a four game trip to a bunch of different cities and different time zones. Um, you know, at the end of a trip, the last team you're playing is not very good. Rudy's not out there. You know, you just there's a number of different excuses. And um, but no, make no make no mistake though. I mean, for a night in January, you're not going to watch that game and say, oh yeah, we're ready to go from for April. But I just I, I want to try to preach the long game approach that uh, this, that what you saw I, I suspect is not a harbinger of, of bad times to come. So, Joe, a little while ago, a few minutes back, you quoted Billy Joel, right? You did a you dropped I did. It. Okay, so looking down the line uh, a few years, do you think Donovan Mitchell will be in a New York state of mind? Nice. Oh, I, I, I mean, I, I've been in this league long enough to know not to say, not to guess on stuff like that. Um, I, I think that he's the guy, I, I think the Knicks are going to land somebody. Whether it's Zion, whether it's whether it's Donovan, I know Donovan is, is uh, comfortable in Utah. He's been well received there. Um, I think it's important for them to get to a finals, you know, or, or, or win one. Um, certainly to make that next step. I mean, those are the kinds of things that stars want to see. Um, and so, what he's already he's playing on a uh, he's playing on an extension already. So he will have been in the league a long time. Yeah, I mean, that's a, like whether you're Cleveland or Milwaukee or Utah or Memphis or Charlotte. I mean, those are the markets where like you get your guys for seven years uh, or so, and then if, you know, then you you do run that risk of losing a guy. Um, and, and five years ago, that I mean, that would have sent shockwaves to the Jazz community. But now I think we've kind of all grown up to that um, to that that possibility. I think that I think that Giannis. Um, choosing to stay in Milwaukee before he saw that they were for real and that they were going to do the things that, it, it, that was necessary to win. I think that bodes well for the Jazz franchise. Um, 
you know, I mean, sort of the awkwardness between Rudy and, and Donovan, whenever that was, it's still there. I'm not quite sure, but it certainly was there. That's not great, but, I mean, winning cures a lot. And if they, if the Jazz are still clicking, hitting on all cylinders and getting to the finals and winning one, then, you know, he may want to be a guy who, who makes his career in, uh, in Salt Lake. I mean, it, I mean, it's happened before, and, and, and Donovan, I think, is interested and following in the footsteps of, of, of Carl and, and, and John. And, and so, you know, he's certainly he's got talent to, to maybe be that guy, but he and they have to win together. Yeah, I say screw New York because who needs a house out in Hackensack? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I mean, but Billy, I mean, that's right. House out in Hackensack, but he also he writes a lot about, you know, Midtown and, Living in Hell's Kitchen too, so you know there's all kinds of, of nice real estate for for a, a Donovan Mitchell or a, or a, a Zion Williams. I don't know. Yeah, look, Zion Williamson is so uh, just sort of, I mean, out of sorts with the Pelicans that he's not even rehabbing near them right now. He's, I think he's in Portland or something like that. So I think if you're ranking him as far as who's getting out of their their uh, home base sooner, I, I would put Zion ahead of Donovan for sure. Joe, the only surprise is that PK didn't start quizzing you about Uptown Girls and really try to make you uncomfortable. He could have done that, but he didn't. Before we let you go, the trade deadline is looming, and we've assessed all the top teams in the league. What are the odds that everything we said doesn't matter because Portland moves Damian Lillard or Boston decides to reset and move one of their stars and make a mega deal? Or... The Simmons deal gets done, and it's a multi-team deal, and that we see some really talented players move that change all the equations we've been talking about. I mean, I, like, I just I want to be upfront. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know that that Portland has any plans to go against what Damian Lillard has said seven hundred times mm-hmm. and trade him anyway. Um, I, I don't know that. Um, of, of the three scenarios you said, I, I would certainly put the, the Ben Simmons thing first. Um, you know, I still I don't think the Celtics need to do that. They don't need to trade one of those guys. Um, they don't need to break up their team. They need to get better around those two. Like they have two legitimate stars under contract for a long time. You don't need to move one of them. You need to do a better job filling out the rest of the roster. Um, and they just haven't. They haven't done it for for the last few years and it's not because of Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown's contract. Um, so I would, I would preach against that. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's Simmons first and then I would guess Willard second, just because it doesn't appear that the Blazers are anywhere close to doing anything as far as winning. Um, and then the Celtics thing third. And I said that and watch three weeks from now, you know, they'll trade uh, Jalen for whoever. <laughs> Well, Joe, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for uh, all the Billy Joel talk with PK, and we will talk to you again later this season. (laughs) All right, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, there's Joe Varden from The Athletic. If you came in late as we replayed that interview, check it out wherever you get podcasts. You can hear all our interviews, anybody who's on the show, anything that's going on. If you missed the Tim Brando interview, uh, that is up. We had Ryan Smith a couple days ago, jazz owner, now RSL minority owner. If you go back further for you golfers brian taylor on uh on the start of the pga tour season so it's all out there wherever you get your podcast search for dj and pk all right dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone what is trending next